This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us and for following Working Like Dogs on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my co-host is my amazing service dog, Lovey. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Bonnie Bergen. And Dr. Bergen is actually the person who invented the concept of the service dog. And as you know, that is to assist people with mobility limitations. And she did this back in 1975 and when she also founded Canine Companions for Independence. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. Bergen to the show. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. The young lady from the rescue delivered happy, and I panicked. She was missing hair, stinky, scabby, and I thought, what did I get us into? The cause of his issue was poor nutrition. It was neglect. The other owners didn't care enough about him to give him the nutrition he needed. But I have a vet that I trust, and she recommended Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I ordered the first 90-day supply, and within a couple weeks, his skin started clearing up. He didn't smell. He had more energy. He just had a glow and a bounce about him. We've been using Dinovite for the last year, and Happy the Rescue Dog is Happy the Healthy Dog. (laughs) I tell all my friends who have rescues to give their dog the chance at a new start with Dinovite. It's going to pay off for you and your dog for years to come. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio, and I'm so excited to have with us today Dr. Bonnie Bergen. Hello, Bonnie, and welcome. Hi. I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah, well, we're just beyond excited that you're with us, Bonnie, because it's, I mean, you're like George Washington for service dogs. It's unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, you really are the mother of of the mobility service dog industry, and we're just so glad that you could be with us today and visit with us because we have so many things we want to ask you, but we want to start with asking you to tell us the story of how you came up with the concept of dogs to assist people with mobility limitations. I'll try to shorten the story. Um, I was, I went through Asia and Europe at one point in my life. I taught in Turkey for a year and I actually saw a lot of people with disabilities. Then I took a master's class in, uh, in Santa Rosa, Sonoma State University. And while I was there, there was a lot of discussion about people with disabilities and how to help them. And I finally, I was very shy and I didn't say much of anything in class, but I finally raised my hand and I told them that I had 
seen some things in Asia, and I wanted to finish about people with disabilities and how they were being helped by with animals. But before I even got past the first three or four words, other students in the class just yelled at me and told me that they felt that in Asia, because they let their people die, people with disabilities die, I really had no right to even mention it. And of course, I was just shocked. I was just totally shocked. And I just sat back in class and I just thought, what what could be done for people with disabilities that would allow them to get out and about? Because in this particular time in history, there was a lot of institutionalization of people with disabilities. And I had seen so many people in Asia and Europe that were out and about. And so I just sat there and all of a sudden, I just got this idea, dogs, dogs could do it. And from that point, I just started to make it happen. Wow. So how did you get from that point to founding Canine Companions for Independence? What happened in between, Bonnie? Well, it was a long and painful, circuitous <laughs> route. I had pet dog. I love dogs. But I thought that this would take someone with real dog training skill, and I didn't have it. So I went down to Guide Dogs in San Rafael, and they told me it absolutely could not be done. It shouldn't be done. It wouldn't work. I went to trainers thinking, well, maybe some trainer would be willing to do it. And they all said, no way, couldn't be done. And then I thought, well, you know what? I'll just have to figure out how to do it myself. And I did. And the difference, I learned later why people kept saying it couldn't be done. And that was because at that time in history, almost every dog training program was about using choke chains and hurting the dog to get the dog to respond. And obviously, if, if the dog was trained with pain, then the person with a disability would have had to use pain to continue that dog's behavior. And so they they knew that it wouldn't work that way. And I didn't know even about using pain to get the dog to respond. I was a teacher. So I when I started doing it myself, I was using very positive treat-based methods of getting the response. And that did work. And so here we are, you know, almost 41 years later, and there's service dogs are all over the world. Yes, they are. Wow. Well, so how did you start working with your first person and, and place your first dog? You know, her name is Carrie Knaus, and I think she deserves so much credit in this. She was a very, very severe quadriplegic, such that if her head fell forward, she couldn't even lift it. She didn't have neck muscles that could lift her head back up. So in essence, I was probably working with the most severely disabled individual I could have, but she was just a dynamo. She was in a power wheelchair, and honestly, I don't think there was anything she couldn't do. But I had called the program in Santa Rosa for individuals with disabilities, and the receptionist that answered the call said, you know, I was saying I wanted to talk to the CEO, and the receptionist said, well, first you have to tell me what it is you want. And when I tried to explain what I wanted, the receptionist, who has turned out to be Carrie, said, I'll do it. I'll work with you. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like a good idea to her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the first dog I placed with her was a puppy, and we worked through a lot of puppy misbehaviors, and Abdul became just a shining example of a service dog. And I have to say, being as naive as I was at the time, If that first dog hadn't worked, who knows? You know, maybe I would have given up. But having seen those results of this dog, it was just, I would have been unable to continue forward. 
And I was, again, I, I didn't know that much about people with disabilities, but the master's program that I was in was about people with special needs. And so I asked Carrie, what do you want the dog to do? And she just told me, you know, she said, when I'm home and the attendant is there, but then she has to go out grocery shopping, sometimes she comes back when it's dark. And so I'm sitting in the dark. She said, is there a way for the dog to turn the light switch on? And I said, sure. And of course, I had no idea how to do it, but we worked together and we and Abdul was very cooperative and he learned how to turn the lights on. And she said, when I'm in the house, there's a lot of times when I just would like to be alone. You know, I don't like to have to have an attendant with me all the time. And she said, is there a way for the dog to, to tug open the refrigerator door and get a you know, a a sack lunch and bring it over to me, she said, because I could actually open that sack lunch and get a sandwich out of it. And, of course, I said, sure. And then we figured out how to get the dog to tug open the refrigerator door and actually retrieve something from the refrigerator. But I think one of the other things that she said that I, you know, all of this has stuck with me because it was such vital information at the very beginning of the program. And I think most every service dog program is doing these exact same tasks that she asked for, but she said, sometimes I'm home alone and I worry that there's going to be a fire and I have no way to get out the door. Is there a way, again, for the dog to to tug open, not just the refrigerator door, but the front door? And we worked on that. And she said, what about retrieving the remote? You know, if if I'm watching television and my attendant isn't there, or I don't want to have to call the attendant back to help me. I'd like to be able to do things for myself. And if I drop the remote, can the dog retrieve the remote and give it back to me? So all of all of the skills, almost every skill that a service dog currently does for someone with a disability came from what Carrie told me she needed and wanted and we trained uh, the Abdul to do. I think the only task that a service dog is doing nowadays that she didn't ask for is pulling the wheelchair. And of course, she could have. She didn't have the strength or agility to do that. But a lot of a lot of quads actually can can have the dog pull their wheelchairs, and certainly paras. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing! Because you're right. That is exactly the same skill set that all four of my dogs have been trained to do. That I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, Lovey picked up the remote control today that I dropped. So yeah, that's wonderful. And what a I mean, that was so cool, though, that you got to work with her because she told you all the practical things that she needed that translates to so many people with mobility limitations. So, wow, that's amazing. So after you worked with Carrie, how did it evolve into Canine Companions for Independence? Well, again, ignorance. So much of what she's beginning <laughs> was ignorance. And somebody just told me that when you when you do something like this, you should have a nonprofit organization. While I was working with Carrie Ann and shortly after that, many, many people came to me and asked me to train a dog for them. So it just grew so quickly in this county. And somebody told me that when you do something like that, you should incorporate. So I incorporated. That was how simple it was. Wow. Yeah, because you were with CCI for over a decade, right? When you were director and getting that established? 17 years. Yeah, I was thinking it was almost 20 years. Yeah. Wow. Well, based on what you know today, is there anything you would do differently in establishing CCI? I don't know about establishing it, but certainly in training dogs, you know, how how to train dogs and how to get them to do these different tasks and to 
expand their cognitive capabilities in doing these tasks are, I mean, it's night and day, obviously. I knew nothing to start with, and and I have just been astounded over these 41 years just how intelligent dogs are and how much they can do and, and learning how to explain to them what I want done so that they would, in fact, move forward in doing those tasks beyond any comprehension I had at that time. Yeah, yeah, me too. You know, from getting one back in 1993, which actually CCI was where I got my first dog from. I think I got on the waiting list like back in 1991, a long time ago. But but you're right. It was so different then as it is now. I just graduated with Lovey about a year ago from Assistance Dogs of the West. And it was a completely different experience and approach, you know, as we've learned and, and as the industry has evolved which which is really amazing. Yeah. Well, and so you left CCI and then you created the Assistance Dog Institute. So tell us what led you to create that. Well, again, ha- just things happen. And I had so many people coming to me. I was a teacher. So again, education was definitely my field. And I had so many people coming asking me how to start a program and how to run a program, and of course, I was just inundated with just trying to keep CCI alive and moving forward and and doing the work of a CEO for CCI. I didn't know when I started CCI or as it grew over those 17 years, I didn't know that I needed to be involved with the dog program. I thought I was, I thought a typical CC, any CEO kind of moved out of the actual programmatic part and just did the administrative part. And I did that. And I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it anymore. And then I had all these people asking me how to do it. And I knew if I helped them do it, I would be creating CCI's competition. And that was my program. And I, I couldn't do that to the program. So I felt like I had to choose between running CCI or starting an educational institution that would teach people how to do this concept. And I chose to be the educator. And in fact, the person from Assistance Dogs of the West, the founder there, was one of our graduates. I know, Jill Felice, who I adore, who's a rock star in New Mexico. And yeah, and she has spoken so highly of you and her experience at your training facility and what is now a university, which is so cool that it's now known, it's gone from Assistance Dog Institute to the Bergen University of Canine Studies, which how did you get that, Bonnie, to get it into the university status? Well, and <laughs> ignorance, <laughs> I don't really believe that. I think being knowledgeable and educated is, is bliss. But the state of California requires that if you do any lengthy program, program with any lengthy amount of time, you have to be approved by them. So we got approved by them to offer associate and bachelor's and master's degrees. And then I'm also hearing that in order to have these degrees, you also should be accredited. So I then pursued accreditation and we became accredited as a university. And to this day, even I will not let myself get away from the dogs. I teach classes still. I love being involved with the program, but there's a horrendous amount of paperwork as well. 
Yes, yes, I can only imagine. I can only imagine the accreditation process and, and what all that requires and the, the staffing requirements and the funding that you have to have to support that. Well, we are going to take just a quick break and hear some important messages from our sponsors, but we're going to come back because I have a lot of additional questions for you, Bonnie, to hear more about the work that you're doing and the incredible impact that you've had on the service dog industry. So come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, the founder of Whitegate PR. We have been specializing in PR and marketing in the pet industry for over 10 years. If you have a pet product or service you would like to promote, give us a call. We can help create awareness for your brand on TV, radio, magazines, newspapers, and blogs. Feel free to reach me directly at 619-414-9307 or learn more on our website at whitegatepr.com or follow us on Facebook. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Dr. Bonnie Bergen. And she is the president of Bergen University of Canine Studies and the founder of the service dog industry. And before the break, she was telling us about the university and how it began and was established. And I have to ask you, Bonnie, tell us about your curriculum. Because you mentioned that you have a bachelor's and a master's degree. Tell us a little bit about that curriculum and what you have to do to earn that degree. Well, first of all, I looked at what my ignorance in starting Canine Companions and and working with dogs and people with disabilities and putting them together as partners. And I wanted to make sure that other people that were starting programs really understood far more than I did when I started um, about disabilities. So there's a formal class about disabilities. There's several formal classes in dog training. I mean, literally sitting down in a lecture class with some of the best people in the whole world that have knowledge about dogs and dogs psychology and dogs learning methodologies, et cetera. So the associate program is really verging on vocational, although it is an academic program, but the end of that road is that someone could actually go out and get hired by a, a assistance dog program and pretty much walk in and be able to be of value to them in terms of it, uh, being a trainer, running the client program, running the any any other aspects of the program that someone who hired them needed done, or they could actually start their own program. The bachelor's program is a little broader based 
it is really I yeah and for example it has classes in dogs in art dogs in literature dog law a lot of a lot of just in any bachelor's program that you took for any subject in the country you would you would have to take a lot of various courses that led to the degree in that area and that is true of our bachelor's as well the masters i think because I was getting a master's when I came up with the idea of the service dog, I have a, a special love for the master's in that I tell the students who come in that when they do their final project or their thesis, they have to have come up with something that has never been done before. The idea being that in that master's, they have whatever idea or vision that they have needs to be something that will change the world. Now, I have to admit that in the dog world, that's not hard. Because there's been so little scientific knowledge or study about the dogs. I mean, so much of what people understand about the dogs is pretty backyard pet concepts, and and it's all very anecdotal. And we're looking at really getting people to understand so much more in depth about the dog, so that they can go out and teach. They can go out and do programs. They can go out and build kennels better than anybody else has, or design toys that that are more healthy and useful to a dog. I mean, on and on and on and on that the master's program is really intended to provide an opportunity to, I think, raise the bar in the entire concept of dogs. That is so cool. That sounds like heaven. I mean, to get to really focus on dogs like that and to have that type of concentrated program, is it full-time? Can people go part-time, Bonnie? Can they do it from a distance, or do they have to be on campus? So far, at, at the stage we're at now, everyone has to be on campus. We do provide them dogs to train, so they're in training programs as well as academic classes, and they are going through just the same as you would for any college, uh, you know, basically a nine-month semester, two semesters of nine months, and, and um, the associate is two years, the bachelor's is four years, and the master's is usually another three years, two and a half to three years, depending on how long they take on their project. Yeah, well, that does. It sounds like the traditional path. Yeah, but on a really cool topic. That sounds really wonderful. And you also really have a strong commitment to community-based programs too, right? Like prison programs or veteran programs. Can you tell us about that and how that is incorporated into the curriculum? Yeah, we actually look at what our students need to know or what would help them in terms of at the point that they leave here, what they might want to do with their lives. And and so we started, I think initially we started a concept where the we had, um, we were training dogs with juvenile, teens at risk that were in juvenile detention centers. And then we had the students actually participate in that program. And that honestly, that was amazing. And, and I have to say that 10 years later, these guys are coming in and, and asking to see me and I walk out to see somebody that I just don't recognize, and it turns out it's the same kid, the same person, I should say, who I worked <laughs> with as a, as a 15-year-old kid who's, who's broad, strong, tall, very different. But what is exciting about that is what, what I hear them say all the time, which is, the dogs changed my life. So the yeah. path they were on before they were changing, the, started working with the dogs, could have been put them in prison. And in fact, what happened is that they became got a good job, 
had children, great parents, they became great parents, etc. So again, that was, that's, by the way, one of the programs Jill Felice took when she started the program out where you are, was working with teens. And mm-hmm. I think she's doing that, to be perfectly honest. They have a wonderful youth program. And in fact, when I went through the program last year, the students, the young people actually were a part of the process of selecting the dog for me. It was really beautiful how they incorporated the students. It was lovely. Yeah, love that. So that's an example of a community-based program that just builds in all aspects of society to make society better. Um, We're doing that with the prison programs here taking dogs out there for them to train. We also teach dogs to read, which I don't know if you've had any chance to see any of the material on that, but we actually do teach them to read flashcards. So they're reading words. And then we go into schools and libraries and show those kids that the kids with reading problems that these dogs can read. And and needless to say, the kids get incredibly motivated to, to improve their own reading skills. And then the dogs are... The dogs are actually lay down on a couch or a chair or a floor with the kid, and the kid reads to the dog, and their reading levels go up one to two to three school uh, grade levels. So it's, it's beautiful, again, an amazing thing. We yeah, ironically, we are also called at at finals time at the university, the local universities in our area, to have our students who are also in finals, but asking our students to find the time to go down to those universities so that the students that are taking finals in these other universities get a chance to to pet the dogs and relax and more settled to take their final exams. It's kind of That's wonderful. Yeah. No, I get it though, with all that stress and and to see those beautiful dogs. Yeah, that's a big stress reliever. Well, I have to ask you, Bonnie, I get phone calls all the time from listeners that want to become a dog trainer. So what advice would you give someone who's had no training but just loves dogs who wants to become a dog trainer? What should they do? Well that's almost an unfair question because having gone through all of the, made all the mistakes that I've made and going through all this trial and error learning, I think they should go to the university. <laughs> I <was gonna laughs> and, I, say. and I'm saying that because I think that, you know, and I've ironically been thinking about it a lot lately and I'm, I'm particularly, particularly interested in the fact that, that with the robotics that are happening, more and more people are going to lose jobs. And mm-hmm. I think that we're looking at a, a time in society where the value of dogs as pets, as, you know, a substitute children, that's going to grow. And I think knowing how to help people establish better relationships with those dogs, I think that that's going to become, that's not a job that can be put over to a robot. It's going to take right. a human, human-to-human mm-hmm. interaction to get that second human who has their own dogs to understand the communication that those dogs are making. I mean, the, the facial expressions of a dog are almost exactly the same as the facial expressions of humans, and yet most people don't recognize that that dog is questioning or is hurt or is happy or is, you know, the, they're not really reading that expression. And I think somebody needs to be teaching that. And, qu- and quite frankly, if I had my brother's, I would want to see a class in every school for students to take in every single school across this country and around the world 
to understand how to train dogs and how to read dogs and how to how to communicate with dogs and just build that rapport that is so essential between mm. humans and dogs and I think will continue to grow. I'm a real strong advocate of formal education in, in dog training, not anecdotal, not casual, but very formal education about dogs. Yeah. Oh, boy, what a difference that would make in our society and in people's lives if they could experience that connection and really build that relationship. Wow. Well, I also want to ask you, so we also get a lot of calls from people with disabilities who are thinking about getting a service dog. And I wanted to ask you, Bonnie, knowing what all you know now today, what advice would you give someone with a disability who might be thinking about pursuing a service dog? What would you tell them? Well, first of all, I'm not opposed to people training their own dogs. I just think they should do it with knowledge. But secondly, if that's not available to them, I think what what we're doing as an industry with Assistance Dogs International, where we're developing a system for accrediting really good sound programs. So I think getting on that website and looking at accredited programs and, and hopefully choosing from them. None of us are perfect out here. I mean, I'd like to say that we're one of the best, but the reality is we keep learning every day more and more and therefore uh, are able to do a better job every single day. So it's it's a incredibly dynamic and exciting industry and it's learning to read dogs and look into their minds and I think working with people, people like yourself who have a service dog, you know, you have, you live with that dog day to day and you work with that dog and you see things in that dog that maybe some of the trainers who are actually training dogs for you wouldn't see because they don't have that I'm amazed every day. I am just, I'm still mesmerized by my assistance dogs and I just learned something. It is so magical, that relationship and what they do for us and how they give us independence and confidence and freedom. I mean, it's really, it's hard to articulate it, Bonnie, as I'm sure you probably know. And I could not agree with you more that we haven't learned. We're just at the tip of the iceberg of really I think, the relationship and the contributions that dogs can make to human lives. I really think, you know, with all of the new things that we're learning, you know, daily of what dogs can do, I just think is fascinating and amazing. Which leads to my next question is, what do you see as the future for assistance dogs? That's a fantastic question. Um, As long as people are open-minded and really uh, wanting to learn, I don't think there's any limit. And and I say this because at one point in my life, I saw dogs do things that I did not give them credit for. You know, I saw it and I thought, well, that must have been an accident or that can't be repeated or it's like a one-time situation. And now, I mean, we sit here at the school. Right now, our students are trying to work with dogs so that they can, quote, unquote, go get help so that the dog will run away from that client, that person that they've so dearly love and are so committed to and are willing when they see that person in pain are still willing to leave that person to go find someone to bring them back to help that individual. Now, all of those stages, you know, seeing their their person in pain, recognizing that that person is absolutely needing help, but being willing to leave to go find someone and then find someone that knows nothing about dogs. So, Somehow 
being able to communicate with that person who knows nothing about dogs that they are trying to get that person to come with them, to come with them off the street, to come and walk, follow them back to that individual who is, who is in need. I mean, the dogs can do it. It's us that have to figure out how to, how to teach it to the dogs. The dogs are more than willing to do it as long as they understand what they're being asked to do. Honestly, I don't think there's anything they can't do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's just, it's amazing what they can do. And I, you know, for me, I've had, as I said, I'm on my, Lovey's my fourth service dog. And every one of them have had such different personalities. I've had males, females, you know, golden retrievers, labs. But they, each one of them has become like a part of my body. You know, when you really get bonded with them and you're really working in sync with them, it is at such a deep level that it it really, it astonishes me every day. I mean, it really does. And it's exactly what you're talking about, about what they really can do if we just figure out how to communicate with them. It's just, I mean, it's it's endless and boundless of what they could do. Well, and I, I have to ask you also, out of all of your accomplishments, Bonnie, which have been so many, what are you most proud of and what do you want your legacy to be? I have to tell you, you probably just said it. You spoke <laughs> so eloquently about exactly what I believe. But I guess if I were going to try to put it in succinctly, I would just say expanding the dog's role in society. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think you have more than done that, Bonnie. <laughs> I mean, you really have. I, I just, like I said, I, I was so excited to visit with you today because of how you've changed my life and how you've changed so many people with disabilities who did not have options. I mean, I think about, I thought I was pretty independent until I got my first dog, Ramona, and I had no idea what all I was missing because I didn't have the independence and the freedom to feel like I could be out in public by my Myself because of the fear of dropping my keys and not being able to get them or falling out of my wheelchair and not being able to get someone to help me. All the things that you've listed, you know, it's just, it's incredible what you did and how you have changed. And also to add to that is how you're building the capacity of trainers through your university and how that has really changed the whole face of the service dog industry. Because it is like you said, you left CCI and you went out and created an educational institution so that there could be assistance dogs of the West and other programs that could start training more dogs because there's so many people that want dogs and there just aren't enough of them. So that has been phenomenal. So I I just can't thank you enough for being with us today and for what you've done for me and for so many other people, Bonnie. So really, I'm sending you a big, big hug. I'm receiving it on this end. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Good. Well, you have to promise to come back and visit with us again because um, we love following you on Instagram. We love seeing you guys on social media and seeing the puppy photos and all the beautiful things that you post. So tell our listeners before we go, how can they get more information, Bonnie, about you, about the university? What's the best way? Well, I, did, I also want to add to those mentions that you made. Explore.org is actually filming our puppies. We're, we're training puppies at, at, at four and a half, well, actually three and a half to four weeks of age. 
we start training, and it, that's on explore.org. So I, I think it's fabulous for people to have a chance to see that. You know, I'm the first person in the world to tell you any of the marketing information that we have because <laughs> I'm so involved in the teaching and working with the dogs. But I do know that we are we do have a website called www.bergenu for university edu. Well, Dr. Bonnie Bergen, it has been my deep, deep pleasure to visit with you today. I just thank you so much. And like I said, you've got a promise that you'll come back and visit with us again. I, I will more than promise, but I have to say that you were so eloquent about your understanding of your dog and your insights into your dog that I had a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love that you join us and we love to hear from you. So please stay connected with us. And you know you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can also find us on our blog, workinglikedogs.com. And keep those emails coming at Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.